Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. We're going to get back into the Word of God. I don't need Josh Baldwin's microphone to do it, but it would be cool. It would, it would be cool. It's not on you. You're the best, man. Come on. Um, I'm so excited to bring you this word tonight, so I'm just going to cut to the chase. I'm going to break every rule of preaching 101. I'm going to give you my title right away. Would you look to your neighbor, your first overall draft pick? You know my games. Come on. Choose them right now. Numero uno. Who are they? You got a pick. If you got two kids, you know you got a favorite. Every parent does. Just pick them right now, it's okay. And would you tell them the title of my message? But, but with a little preface, would you say this? Remember, oh come on River, you preach better than that. Remember, your first love. Ooh, the married people just got real nervous. They came with their wife or husband and they go no 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 preacher please don't call it. don't talk about my first love i understand that but you know what truthfully for me this is i don't mean to brag but it's not a problem for me see i'm bad in 1000 in this life my first love is my only love and my last love and she's sitting right here lindsay give it up for her that's my first love right there first and last one and done but how many know it doesn't always work that way, one and done? I was blessed, but that's, that's not normal. Um, I went to a Christian college. Anyone here go to a Bible college? Where are my Bible college people at? Okay, let's make this a little more broad. Anyone here ever go to a youth group? A young adult group? Okay, Christians and dating are weird. Can we just put that out there, like right now? It is weird dating in a Christian environment. I didn't say bad, it's good to date in a Christian environment, but there's some things that are weird about it, especially in Bible college. Um, I went to a big Bible college, Liberty University, 20,000 students, biggest Christian university in the world, down in Virginia, it's where I met that gem, Lindsay, that I just told you about a minute ago. But I saw some things there, guys, some things that would blow your mind. Where are the single people at? Put your hands up, let me see single people. I didn't say shout, I just said put your hands up. Why are you so excited? You're announcing it like, ah, single, that's me. Pick me. Pokemon, I choose you. Okay. Let's see what I'm working with tonight. There's a lot of single people at the river. That's good to know. Um, I saw you single people do some weird stuff in Bible college. There are all these groups of people when it comes to dating in Bible college. The first one, let's start with the ladies. Yeah, man, well, men, us men are like this. There are those girls who go to Bible college and they're undecided on their degree program. 
And you ask them, hey, uh, what are you studying? And they say something like, Jonathan. Oh, I mean, I mean, art, no, um, or a name. And, and what degree program are you in? And, and it's what you end up finding out is they're studying for the MRS degree. The Mrs. degree, anyone? MRS degree? Help me with my dad jokes, y'all. Come on, I've only been a dad 15 months. I'm still learning them. The MRS degree? Let's move off the ladies, because it's not right to be mean to ladies. Gentlemen, in Bible college, there are the men who love this one. The Holy Spirit told me that you are going to be my wife. You know it? Any lady in here ever heard that? Yeah? Did it work? You know, this is a true story. I was in the law, the law, law library. This is actually when I was in law school, not Bible college, but I, I still heard it go down. Um, and a guy went up to a girl, and you know what she said back? She said, well, the Holy Spirit's got my direct number, and he didn't tell me nothing about you. <laughs> so that's always a safe response. You crush a heart, but it's a safe response. Then let's go back to the ladies. There's the ladies that are just dating Jesus. You remember that? And guys, you know, you ask them out on Friday, hey, would you like to go to this, uh, this restaurant with me Friday or go watch a movie with me Friday? Oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm just in a season where I'm dating Jesus and I'm getting really close to him. And the guy's like, oh, man, okay. You know, I can't really, dating Jesus is good. I can't be mad at her for that. Maybe she'll date Jesus and then get ready to date me, you know, maybe something like that. But then that's Friday. Then Saturday comes along and she's dating Chad. Who the heck is Chad? Chad ain't Jesus. He's got the long flowy hair, but he ain't Jesus. That dating Jesus thing was like a 2000s fad. I think it's gone now. The Britney Spears and the newsboy, uh, Newsboys actually were also 2000s, but that's the Christian. Um, so those, those things are behind us. But, but dating in the Christian scene is rough. And when you reach a point in your life, young people, if you haven't reached it yet, when that first love comes around, it's a very interesting exercise. It's not easy, but let me tell you this, it is special. Okay, married people don't get too stressed out. We'll go too far on this, all right? It is special, your first love. The first time you have that Hollywood, we call it a fall, you know, that moment where you fall in love and you're feeling things for the first time. That, that, that first feeling is very special, even if the person is not very special. Usually the first person you love sucks. They aren't special at all. Um, my case, I was blessed, fortunate. Um, but that first love is special. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, but not in a goofy, funny, comedian, preacher kind of way about your relational first love here on this earth, but I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about your first love with Jesus Christ. And there's a story in Scripture that hit me like a ton of bricks a couple weeks ago when I was studying. It comes from Revelation chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 2. It's going to come up on the screen right now. I'm going to read it to you. This is about your first love. To give you a little bit of context, this is to the church at Ephesus, which I'll tell you more about in a minute. John the Revelator wrote this. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. I know that you found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. All these are good things, all right? He is encouraging the church at Ephesus, but then things take a turn a little bit in verse 4. 
Verse 4 says, yet, or another translation says, nevertheless, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Verse 5, consider, coming up on the screen, eventually, I promise you. Verse 5, consider, verse 5, oh, wow. That's what I get for golfing today instead of doing my note run through. Just be honest with you. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Guys, you got to understand something about this. This is a letter. This is a letter from John the Revelator spoken directly from Christ to him to the great church at Ephesus. This arguably is the greatest church of all time. This church was founded by someone you may know by the name of the Apostle Paul. He founded this church and he spent three years there and it wasn't just him, Timothy was there and so many others invested into this church. Ephesus was the center of the ancient world. It had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was a, it was a city of great commerce and trade and, and economy. It was the church. I don't know what church you could think of today that is the church, the big church, but Ephesus was it. That was the church. But now, in Revelation 2, it's some 30 years later after the Apostle Paul has left. He spent three years building this church, writing letters to this church, teaching this church, discipling. But now 30 years have gone by. John is delivering these words of correction as love. Who was here last week? Let me see your hands. Last week, you know, we talked about correction and how it's a good thing. It's not a hateful thing. That is what Christ is doing. He's reaching out to the church and he's encouraging them first because he says, hey, look, your doctrine is good. Your hard work is good. Your perseverance is good. Verse two, he says all these things to him. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wickedness. These are all good things, my friends. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. These are all good things. Christ is commending their doctrine. We can't just gloss over this and jump to the love part. It's a good thing. He's even saying that they're brave enough in a secular culture to confront what is not true. This is a good thing. Christ is, is highlighting that, and we need sound doctrine in the church. A few years ago, I had a really good friend who was a surfer. You ever met surfers in your life? They're interesting people, right? To voluntarily go out in the ocean and just get destroyed wave after wave after wave, you have to be a special kind of person. I love surfing. It's fun. So maybe that speaks something about me. But anyways, he invited me to his church, and I went there. This church was pretty interesting. They were worshiping the universe, and they were singing Kumbaya. And after about 40 minutes, I realized the name of Jesus or even God didn't come up once. I was like, are they going to start passing the ganja around soon? Like, what's going on here? This is pretty crazy. Like, this church's doctrine was a little wonky. And that is not the problem that the church at Ephesus had. Their doctrine was good. Guys, theology is important. Your deeds, your hard work your, are important. This is a, this is a, a compliment from Christ to the church, but he says, nevertheless, yet I, he identifies a big problem in verse four, and that's what I want to talk to you about. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had 
at first. But God, the creator of the universe, says, yet I hold this against you. You better listen. That's a big statement from the creator of the universe. And yes, contrary to popular opinion, God is against things. Hear me when I say this. God loves everyone, full stop, 100%, no disclaimer, but he does not love everything. He loves everyone, but he does not love everything. Guys, there's turn the other cheek, long, flowy hair, Jesus, and then there's also savage Jesus. You don't believe me that there's savage Jesus? You heard the story about tables getting turned over in the temple when people were abusing what the temple was meant to be, a place to honor God? Go into somebody's house and flip a table trying to smile. You can't do it. Don't tell me that, that Christ was not angry in that moment, but Christ was also perfect in every single moment. But this made him angry. There's also savage Jesus, and he gets angry when it's for our good in limited circumstances sometimes. And he writes this letter through John to that church 2,000 years ago, but I promise you it's more relevant than ever today to our church and to us where we are today. And it's not the only time that we see it in Scripture. It's a theme through the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, there's this sad proclamation from God. He says, he says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not yet sown. I remember how you used to love me. It's like this sad cry out from God to the Israelites. That's the old church. And then it's a cry out in Revelation to you, to the new church today. You have forsaken the love that you had for me at first. Guys, you got to understand this that God always was, is, and always will be pursuing your heart, your love, your affection, and your devotion. How incredible is that? That the creator of the universe, that the object of his affection is your heart. Your heart is the thing that he has always wanted, and when he doesn't have it, it makes him sad. When we just give him doctrine, when we just give him perseverance, but we don't let him consume our heart, it makes him sad. So here he's calling out the church. You got that good doctrine. You got that hard work. But where is the love that you had at first? And I want to put this to you that it probably wasn't intentional by the church at Ephesus to forsake God and not have that love that they had at first they probably got distracted. They were living in a secular antichrist culture, one that is not so different from 2023 that we live into in today, where the message of Christ is no longer popular. It's no longer accepted as the majority. So we can't fault them too much for it because I don't think it happened intentionally. But what's important to understand is that what God is saying in response to that is he's saying, I don't just want your religion. I want your relationship. I don't just want the rules. I don't just want the law. It's important. We can't gloss over it. I want your heart. That's what he is saying 2,000 years ago, and that's what he's saying tonight to you and to me. He's saying, I want your heart. I want your relationship. He's saying, don't be like the church at Ephesus and spend 30 years fighting over rules and roles and doctrines and practices where you get to a point where you no longer say, I love you. 
It's a simple message, but when was the last time you went to the Lord and just said, God, I love you. God, my heart is longing for you. I love you. It's, it, it's easy to get caught up in the doctrine and the day-to-day and the perseverance and not get to that point. Let me tell you a little story. Back years ago when I lived in Virginia, I met this World War II vet. We should appreciate people like that because this guy went through stuff, man. He told me some stories that would just absolutely rattle me. When he was in World War II fighting against the Nazis, he was an old man. And I asked him a lot of questions because old people, my friends, they may not know how to scan a QR code, as I make jokes about all the time, or operate your iPhone. But when you need to know how to get through hard times in life, go find an old person and ask them because they've done it, okay? Us young people, is 34 still young? I don't know. I feel old every day. It is? Thank you. I love you, whoever you are. I asked him some questions, and I asked him about his relationship. I asked him about his wife. And I knew he'd been married for a long time. I was like, how long have you been married, sir? And he says, 55 years. At that time, this is like 10 years ago, at 55 years, waking up next to the same person every single day. I said, what's the secret? You got to tell me. And here he told me what his secret is. And it might surprise you. He said, I've only ever told her that I love her once. What? What? That's not what I thought you were going to said, yeah. At the altar, I said, I love you. And I'll let you know if anything changes. <laughs> 55 years later, ain't nothing changed, he said. One time. I love that story. Man, that's like a nice, tough story. You know, like that would be cool. Don't do that. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Tell your lady that you love her. Let her know that you appreciate her every single day. Ladies, do the same to your fellas. Tell them, let them know that you love them. See, Christ loves the church. In fact, the church is his bride. It's a very similar scenario. And he's crying out to the church saying, hey, what about when you used to love me? What about that first love? You got the doctrine. You're, you're, you're calling the wicked, wicked. Man, we're real good at that in the church. Wow, the wicked are wicked. What, a, what an epiphany. Amazing. We're real good at that in the church. He's saying, where is that love that you had at first? But Christ like he always does. God, like he always does, doesn't just identify a problem and leave us there. He gives us a solution. He gives the church at Ephesus a way back. He gives you, he gives me a way back. And he says this in verse 5 that I messed up earlier. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and then do the things you did at first. My friends, that is the recipe as of the way to get back to your first love. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. So the first point that I want to make, the first of just three, is that you need to remember. Would you look to your neighbor, your second overall pick, pretty rude, look to them right now, the one that you didn't pick at the beginning, and say, remember. Yeah, they remember that you chose them second. That's what they're remembering right now. That's fine. Remember, guys, one of the easiest ways, 
one of the easiest ways to appreciate and love your father is to remember all that he has done. When you are down in the valley low, it's a hard practice. It's easy to preach and say, but when you're down walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it's hard. But you got to learn how to remember what he has done for you. You have to remember that we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. It's the greatest mystery. Why? What can you give him that he doesn't have? What can I give him that he doesn't have? But he still loved you first then in the garden, and now still today, he still loves you first. And nothing, nothing works better than looking back and remembering the goodness of God on your life. We love him because he first loved us. So when you think about how bad you've messed up, remember all the times that he's picked you up in the past. If he did it then, he's going to do it now. Your struggling situation right now won't be his first defeat. You've got to look back and remember when you were dead in the water of life, how he resuscitated you. When you turned your back on him and ran from him, how he ran to you. Is there anyone with that testimony? That's my testimony. When you run from God, he doesn't go, what a fool. He runs to you. He stands at the door of your heart, and he just keeps on knocking. Because that's the kind of love that he has for you. When you had a heart of stone, remember how he warmed it up. Remember how he gave you a new fire again. How the Holy Spirit works in you. We got to remember, but to remember, my friends, is not enough. We got to put our remembrance into action. Point two, we got to repent. I'm not going to have you look at your neighbor and shout, repent. <laughs> Don't worry, this ain't that kind of church. We all got to do it, truthfully, we all do. But that's the second point, repent. We can't just remember, we now have to repent. What is repenting? Repenting, my friends, is not just asking for forgiveness. That's saying you're sorry, that's apologizing, that's asking for forgiveness. Repentance is something different. Repentance is a change in action marked by new fruit, something you can observe, doing it differently than you did it before is what repentance is. To repent calls us to turn away from what we were doing before. So he's saying, consider how far you have fallen. Remember, remember how I've been good to you. Repent, turn from those ways. How do we go back? How do we repent of losing that love? How? You know how to remember. How do we go back? How do we repent? Here's the third step that he gives you. This is what it's all about. This is the only thing I came to tell you tonight. Do the things that you did at first. Where are my married people at? Put your hands up. Are you here with your spouse? Keep your hand up if you're here with your spouse. Look at them right now and say, do the things you did at first. Some married couples just had to get that out there. Do the things that you did at first. Remember, repent, and then do the things that you did at first. Guys, those of you who have had that first love, who have fallen, what did you do in those days? What did you do when you had that first love? I'll tell you one thing you did. Eventually, you had the DTR. Anyone know what the DTR is? Define the relationship. The dreaded DTR talk. You remember that? It goes one of two ways. You end up in the prison of the friend zone forever, or you start dating. Pastor AJ, why were you laughing so much at that? 
You got the best wife ever. I don't know why you're laughing, bro. Pastor Bridget's amazing. The DTR, and when it goes well, and it's official, it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend, what do you do next? You run around telling everybody because you're excited. He said yes. She said yes. This is exciting. This is a relationship, and you spoke of your love constantly. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers from the 19th century, he said it like this. He said, it cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Christ and a totally silent tongue about him. It cannot be that you really appreciate him if you don't tell anyone about him. When you first fall in love, man, you tell everybody. You are excited about it. You're affectionate when you first fall in love. PDA, anyone know what PDA is? Public displays of affection. That ends at about year three of marriage, usually. Usually. But look, when you're dating, you don't care who sees that you love them. You're proud of it. You're sitting at the river with your arm around your boo, squeezing her tight so every other guy knows that she's yours. You're happy. You, you put your love on display because you're proud to be in love. You know what else? You don't fight over your differences. You don't try to look for what you don't understand and put a spotlight on it and deconstruct and have only that. You don't do that at a coffee date. No way. Hey, why do you act this way? It really bothers me. That's a great way to end a relationship on a first date. You don't do that, but we do that to God all the time. God, how come you do it this way? It really bothers me. And, and, and we do it through all types of fancy, sexy terms like deconstruction. But when you are first dating, you don't put your focus on that. You say, I love you, and you don't care who hears it. That's what you do when you're first dating. How about this one? You pursue. When you are first dating, you just want to be in their presence. And you risk being creepy to do it. You hear that they're somewhere, and you just show up. Hey, how you doing? Funny seeing you here. Didn't just check your Instagram story and know that you were at this coffee shop. Get in my car and speed over here. No, that's crazy. You just got to be where they are, and you don't care. You go there. If you know they are somewhere, you run there. That's why I love every single one of you so much. Because you know something? C.S. Lewis said this. He said that it is in the process of being worshipped that God reveals his presence the most. If you're legalistic and you say, I don't listen to man, I only listen to God, how about this? He said, I will inhabit the praises of my people. When you praise the Lord, he is in your midst. It's not that he isn't with you when you're not praising. That's a lie from the devil. You can never be far from God. But when you are praising him, you are focusing on him, and you see him. When you are first in love, you do everything you can to get near that person. Do we still do that today in the church? Do we do everything you do? You stand in a lineup for an hour and a half to get in here to come and worship God, to get into his presence. And I take my hat off to you for that. That's incredible that you do that. But when you're first in love, you do whatever you can to get around. Guys, when you inhabit with someone or when you live with someone, you start to become a lot more like them. I married this southern girl from Raleigh, North Carolina. It's not far from where Josh is from. He's from North Carolina also. I'm a Toronto man's, M-A-N-S, through and through. Y'all laugh at me. It's offensive. Joel's laughing real hard over there. I heard him. 
I'm a Toronto man, but I'm up here saying y'all when I preach. That's weird. You know why I do that? Because I cohabitate, I live with this beautiful southern girl who says y'all like 94 times an hour. <laughs> y'all doing this? It's just me. What do you mean y'all? Who else? It's just me. Y'all doing that? And now I come up here and I preach to y'all and I say y'all. Because I live with her. I'm around her so much. Hear me when I say this, my friends. Christ-likeness is not produced by imitation. It's produced by inhabitation. It's not produced by looking at Christ at a distance and trying to copy him. It's by inhabiting him. It's by having him in you. That's how you become him. Having him in you. Lastly, because we're going to go back to worship soon. Soon, not yet, but soon. And maybe most important, when you first fall in love, there's something you do called effort. You try. You shave. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you pick your outfits. You don't just throw on a random flower shirt. You pick your outfits. You check them out in the mirror. You put in the effort. You go to the gym. You run. Because you're running after your one and only. My dad has a great joke about that, and if you know him, it's even more funny. He always says, yeah, see, when you're trying to catch the bus, you run. But once you've caught it, you can sit down. You don't need that treadmill anymore. You don't need that gym anymore, Ryan. You're married. What are you doing up in that gym? The gym haters are clapping real big. We have a beautiful gym, by the way, on the other side of that wall. You should check it out one day. It's awesome. I never go there, but it's awesome. Um, when you are first in love, you try. In fact, there's something you want to do. You want to impress that person. You know what I'm saying? So you live right. You act right. You put in effort. You try. Some of us, just like the church of Ephesus, we've been in a relationship with God for so long that we no longer try to impress him. And I don't say that with judgment because I don't think it happens out of the fact that we don't love him anymore. Of course we love him, but here's what I think happens. And the same thing happens in marriage. This is relationship with God advice, but it's also marriage advice. Here's what happens. When you've been married to someone for 30 years, I'm only coming up on nine. I'm not there yet. But even at nine years, the same thing happens. You start thinking this way. You start thinking, man, she has already seen me at my worst. So why keep trying? She's still here. She's already seen me at my worst, so why would I keep going to the gym? Why would I keep putting in the effort? Why would I keep working on improving myself and how I treat her and other people? She's already seen me at my worst, and she hasn't left me. That is the exact reason why you should try. That is the exact reason that you should put in the effort, that she or he has seen you at your worst, and guess what? They're still standing next to you, having your back no matter what one person clapping here. Thank you. I like you. It's not popular preaching, but it's true. And it's not just about marriage, my friends. You think about your relationship with God. Think about this for a minute. God is the only person that fully, 100%, completely knows you. The only person. Not your husband, not your mom, not your dad, not your wife, not your kid. 
God knows every single nasty, terrible thought that you have ever had, that you ever will have, every bad thing that you have ever done. You are fully known by him, and guess what? He still chooses you. Every single day, he still chooses you. If that's not a reason to still try, I don't know what is. Fully known, yet still loved by him. That's a remarkable testimony. It's a testimony that we all share. Guys, the love from your father is a love story that Hollywood can't even come close to. It beats, I don't know, the notebook. Did a guy just go whoop on the notebook? It beats hope floats. It beats every terrible, what's that, um, the Sparks guy? Um, Nicholas. I hate him, so, no, I don't hate him. I'm a pastor. I, I despise his, Nicholas Sparks, someone said, all his movies, they're just so romantic and gushy. It's disgusting, <laughs> truthfully. But Hollywood can't even come close to the kind of love that your father has for you. Well, Not even close. <laughs> Guys, his heart for you is so kind that you can turn your back on him and curse him and he still doesn't walk away. His love for you is so pure. He is good. He's not good, the adjective. He's good, the noun. He is the very notion of where we get the understanding of what good is. It's him. It's a love that is incredible. My friends, don't forsake the love that you had at first by just doing the chores, by just going through the motions, by just showing up on Sunday, checking in and chucking out, just showing up on Tuesday, checking in and checking out. You have to remember all that he has done. We got to repent and change the way that we're treating him now and go back to the things that we did at first. It's great relationship advice if you're dating or if you're married, but it's also relationship advice with your father. Christ is saying it is not enough to just have the works. He wants your heart. So would you stand back to your feet? The worship team is going to come back up here. And you have an opportunity now, tonight, not to just checkbox. Jonathan, you can play those holy keys for me, brother. Or Pastor AJ on the organ. They're even more anointed. You can do that too. You have an opportunity tonight, not just to leave here and go, man, I heard a Bethel worship leader. Man, the river worship, their lights were so cool. Man, you should have heard the people singing. That doesn't need to be your testimony tonight. Your testimony can be, I went back to my first love tonight. I remember how it was when he first saved my life. And I'm changing and going back to do the things that I did at first. Guys, you got to hear this, that God wants, he, he doesn't want your perfection. You're not even capable of giving it to him. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your devotion. He doesn't want your theology. I'm the vice president of a seminary. I think theology is real important. I spent a lot of years of my life on it. But your theology is not what he wants. He wants your first love. That passion that you had for him at first. 
Guys, religion is due. Do, 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 do. Christianity is done. It already happened on a mount called Calvary 2,000 years ago. We can only fight so much over something that has already happened. The question tonight isn't, isn't that first stuff that the church of Ephesus was doing. It's, it's do you love him like you did at first? Do you run around telling everybody about it? Do you mind if other people see it? Do you still put in the effort that you used to when you first loved him? When you first found him? The question tonight, my friends, is very simple. It is, will you go back to the beginning? Back to where it all started. Before we made it complicated, before we made it about politics and church denominations and practice and how we dress in church, how we raise our hands, will you put all of that aside and will you go back to the beginning? Back to your first love, your savior. Guys, you can always go back to him. There's someone in this room hearing me right now going, Pastor, you don't know how far I am from him. I don't know how far you think you are from him, but I can tell you this, he is never far from you. He is never far from you. God is not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. Madly in love with you. And he's crying out tonight, come and love me like you used to. He's saying that he didn't break you, but he still bought you anyway. He bankrupted heaven and gave his most prized possession, his son, and shed his blood on the cross for you and for me. He didn't break us, but he sure bought us. And he promises to you to love you and to be faithful to you and to be for you. Not just now, but for a thousand generations, he said. A thousand generations means forever. His love for you knows no end. It knows no bounds. Before worship, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, it says this. It says, know that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. You cannot love him and not keep his commandments. And tonight, the commandment that he is giving you is simple. It's saying, come back. Come back, my child. Come back. I know you've left, but I haven't. And I'm still here for you. Remember the love that you had at first. Do the things that you did at first. And the best way to do that, the best, the very best way that you could do is not by beating yourself up tonight at 2 a.m and drowning in the sorrows of your regrets, the best way to do that is to fall flat on your face and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. To lift him up in blessing and honor and glory and power to he who sits on the throne, the Lamb who is holy forever 
and forever.